This is The Guardian. Today, when the British Army says, your country needs you, why so many young people are saying, um, that is such a red flag. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When the head of the British Army, Sir Patrick Sanders, looks out over the world, he sees dark clouds. Russia's war in Ukraine, what's happening in Gaza, growing tensions with China. Recently, speaking at a military conference, General Sanders said the country needed to start preparing itself for an all-out war. Like the one in Ukraine, where nearly every person in the country would have to serve in some way. And he reckons the UK isn't ready. Gen Z are signing up to the armed forces in fewer numbers than generations before. His comments have kicked off a debate over the past few days that's mostly been about why kids these days are so lazy, so unpatriotic, so unwilling to sit in a trench where the signal might be 4G at best. Dear God, the generation that they conscript now, they can't brush their teeth without a TikTok video. The idea they could actually put them as infantry men and women, give me a break. Day in the life on the battlefield. So after waking up to the sound of air sirens, I got myself up and had my morning rations of eight beans and a slice of bread. Usually we're only allowed six beans, but I think the sergeant fancies me. But if young people have less interest in military service than ever before, what if the problem isn't them? From The Guardian, I'm Michael Safi. Today in Focus... Can the army convince young Britons to serve? Dan Sabber, you're The Guardian's defence and security editor. And lately, the head of the British army, Patrick Sanders, has been making some unusual and to many people alarming statements. What has he been saying? So Patrick has said a couple of things, really. One of them, he said, curiously, that... War is around the corner, saying that you know we are the pre-war generation, as if it was sort of late 1930s Britain. And the other thing he's been saying is that this is quite carefully nuanced, but has been essentially been understood as almost sort of saying we need to think about a return to conscription or national service. What he's been saying is that if there was a major war with Russia, you know, in that event, while the British army is so small, very quickly we'd have to resort to a kind of whole of society defence, if you like, of the nation. A citizen army, in other words, we've been brought in a conflict that looks something like uh, 1939-45 or 14-18 in which millions of people had to fight and die in a war with a peer enemy. Now, you have to ask yourself, how realistic is all this? Well, let's start here. What do you think is motivating Patrick Sanders to say these striking things? 
Well, the first thing you've got to understand here is this is a speech that was put out by the head of the army without being cleared by either Downing Street or the Ministry of Defence. Mm. I think they rather carefully got round Grant Shapps' kind of team at the Ministry of Defence and, and put out the message that they wanted to put out. So what's this about? Well, a couple of things. Look, Patrick Sanders is, is, is leaving post in a few months' time. You know, he can say what he likes. I'm not saying this is sort of sour grapes or anything like that. But, but what I am saying is that he feels he can sort of speak very freely. Look, there's an election coming around the corner. Some of this is an argument for more money and more resources mm. and which political party is willing to sort of put the wallet on the table or put the taxpayer's wallet on the table and say, let's increase spending on defence. Part of it's about that. But part of it is actually about saying, is Britain sort of ready socially to fight a war? If Britain was embroiled in a war of national survival, much as, for example, is going on in Ukraine, where, of course, Ukraine's had to, you know, conscript hundreds of thousands of people in order to fight off an invasion, if Britain was embroiled in such a conflict, then are we ready? Have we got the mentality? If you're, you know, fairly young, it's like, is this something I should be thinking about? You know, am I ready to do this? Or, or, or actually, this is just, you know, crazy talk. Well, let's figure out if it is crazy talk. The scale of Russia's invasion of Ukraine two years ago came as a huge shock. We saw in Israel that the strategic situation that you think you're in can completely transform in one morning. The idea of Britain becoming suddenly involved in a major war is not completely off the table, is it? How could that possibly play out? If Britain were to be involved in a major war, you know, where would it be? The most likely scenario would be something like this. You know, Trump is elected, military aid for Ukraine stops. Uh, Ukraine is put on the back foot. Russia kind of maybe advances modestly further, even maybe advances significantly. And perhaps after a pause of a year or two, because Russia is quite you know, full stretch in Ukraine at the moment, but perhaps after a pause a year, year or two, Vladimir Putin thinks, now's my chance to test NATO out while Donald Trump is still president. Let's have a, let's have a go at the Baltic states or possibly Poland or somewhere like that in, in, in Russia's near abroad. And suddenly we're at a point where the question becomes, will Britain, you know, uh, and there's an attack on a NATO member, uh, in theory, Article 5 obtains, an attack on one is considered an attack on them all and you sh you're obliged to do your best to, to help out does britain come to the aid of estonia for example where there are already british troops or any of the baltic states or does britain come to the aid of a country like poland last time we did that well that was 1939 is britain willing to fight in other words a major war against an expansionist russia that's already you know won a war in ukraine because american military aid is stopped is that a possibility? I think it's a possibility. It's not something that can, you know, absolutely and smoothly and glibly be ruled out. And I think you could say before the war in Ukraine started, you could say, well, the idea that Britain become embroiled in a major war with Russia, that seems unlikely. But I think what Vladimir Putin has shown is an expansionism that makes you think twice about that. Facing that prospect, what state would you say the UK military is in? at the moment? Well, the UK military is, kind of, is effectively in a peacetime state with some modest capability to conduct what Britain might call expeditionary warfare, although it's certainly not what it was at the time of Iraq and Afghanistan 20 years ago. And so you're talking about an army that's um, uh, heading towards a size of about 73,000. How does that compare to the past 73,000? Well, it's the lowest since the end of the War of the Spanish Succession, which, as you know, finished in 1714. So of course, we're talking about a British army that is as small a size for over 300 years. Hmm. There are a lot of reasons why a small army is a good thing. You know, the UK's got a very limited land capability now. 
Britain's an island, doesn't need a big army. And, and, and I think the, the era of these expeditionary wars, you know, for regime change for places like Iraq, one, one would hope is over. So there isn't necessarily the need for a large army. But also you've got a relatively small navy by the kind of number of warships or hulls. Um, and the military all round is struggling for recruits with both the navy and the air force below target level set originally in 2015. And the army's only above the, its current target level, but that's because the target level was moved down from the sort of low 80,000s to 73,000 a couple of years back in a kind of recent review. When you talk to members of the armed forces, does it give you a clue as to why they might be struggling to attract people into the Navy, into the Army, into the Air Force? I mean, mostly when you talk to people in the armed forces, they're sort of very dedicated and focused on the task at hand. And I think you know, these are often these are kind of one should think of members of the armed forces in some respects as public servants doing a, a difficult job, albeit a job where it might be a risk to life. On the other hand, you know, there are problems and these things, you know, get around. Pay is a problem. The armed forces have not been immune from austerity. Pay has lagged long below inflation since 2010. 1% pay rises were the norm in the middle of the last decade. And although pay has improved a bit, that's only because inflation has soared. Meanwhile, there's other areas of underinvestment. Military accommodation is often lousy. Again, a lot of money is being put forward to improve that, but there are problems with mould, you know, substandard kind of conditions. And on top of that, you've got all sorts of other problems with, with scandals. The military badly wants to recruit more women. I think about 11% or so of the armed forces are female. That's a number you want to see being much higher and reflective on society. But again, you've seen this sort of string of sexism scandals in all parts of the armed forces. So is the military an attractive place for you know, young women to go? There's a lot of reasons to suggest it wouldn't. Channel 4 News has seen a damning internal report which says the British Army is failing in some aspects of its attempts to improve equality and diversity. A senior general who's in charge of tens of thousands of British troops says that every woman who took part in a survey claimed she'd been subjected to unwanted sexual attention. Some soldiers thought bullying... I think the reality is that what we've seen over the last 20 years was that both war in Iraq was probably fought on a floor premise. Yes, it led to the toppling of a dictator, but on the other hand, it embroiled thousands of troops in a long-running conflict that appeared at one point to be without end. In Afghanistan, uh, the Taliban were removed, but that led to sort of 20 years of guerrilla fighting and then a rather hasty exit led people to question what the point of it was. And now they're back. The Taliban are back. Yeah, and the Taliban are back. So people have gone, well, what was... So a lot of soldiers involved that say, what was the point? As the Taliban moves in, the West moves out. American helicopters busy over Kabul all day today, ferrying diplomats from the US embassy to the airport. This disorderly end was not the plan. So you're sitting there going, these are two extremely flawed conflicts. And, and, and if Britain were to embark on another war that looked like that, if I'm joining the military and that's what I'm going to be used for as part of a kind of flawed conflict, then do I want to be part of that? So given all of those challenges, what is the army doing? How are they actively trying to boost their recruitment? The army's tried a number of things, a lot of them not without controversy, partly, I think, reflecting the pressures on recruitment. So, you know, traditionally, the UK is the only country in Western Europe that recruits at 16. A lot of militaries recruit at 17, and it targets recruitment into schools. 
you know, through the establishment of cadet forces inside schools in the UK. So there's a big focus there. That's one of the things they're trying to do. And there's a number of activities kind of related to that. So, for example, we saw something quite recently. The MOD recruited a couple of um, social media influencers, gamers, and they wanted to play a game of Fortnite. Um, video game Fortnite. Yep, popular video game. And what you, one of the things you can do in Fortnite is you can build a kind of third-party world. So the, so the idea was the army were going to build this kind of world. And you would get these two influencer gamers would come in it and then people could watch the game and they would kind of explore this world and it would be a kind of form of soft recruitment. Well, this immediately caused a ton of problems because although uh, the MOD said this, that there would be some age verification, 18 plus, I think there's a lot of skepticism about whether that be achievable. And there was a feeling like, hey, you're like Fortnite is played by teenagers, probably teenage boys predominantly. Uh, and, and there's a feeling like, hey, is your marketing get kids? What's this all about? The army are in trouble for basing a recruitment ad on the video game Fortnite, popular with young people. Could children be the key to defeating Russia? I don't know what the strap line was, but it could have been something like, you like killing people online? Well, boy, have we got the job for you. It was, you belong here, you belong yeah. in the army, weirdly. And, and very quickly, there was quite a big backlash. And within a few days, the MOD had to kind of say, we've listened to the community and we withdraw. So as the pressure is on to kind of find recruits, they are being innovative, but they're also pushing the boundaries. Tell me about the kinds of ads they're putting out on TV, on social media, to try to speak to this younger generation who, as you say, have grown up in the shadow of Iraq and Afghanistan and all of these different scandals. So, I mean, every year there's a different army recruiting campaign. Some have better success than others. The one that had the most success was kind of, you know, the, the sort of their efforts to recruit the snowflake generation. You know, mobile phone zombies, your country wants you, this sort of thing. Where does confidence come from? How you look? Hey, little man, look at me. This could be you in just six weeks. Guarantee results fast. Get rid of my workout plan. It's the case guarantee. In other words, sort of playing to the idea that, that look, we don't understand what the kind of the stereotypes of young people are, but we want the people who sort of, you know, think differently and stand out. Mm. And a real effort is made to try and be smart about it. The Army's latest recruitment campaign is trying to persuade youngsters to turn their backs on quick-fix lifestyle messages from advertising and social media. OK, this is the hottest job of the year! But, you know, the figures don't lie, and recruitment targets have been missed every year since 2012, um, some years by a lot, some years by, by a little. And, and when you add on to the fact that people are leaving at greater numbers than they are staying on, all in all, you just, they, they, these create serious pressures. You know, the way this problem's often talked about is in the way you've just mentioned, that there's a kind of snowflake generation addicted to their phones, they're doughy, they'll never be able to pick up a gun and fight. Do you think that's a fair criticism of, of young British people? Well, now you're getting onto an interesting subject. The answer is maybe, yeah, but then again, like, why do we? We don't have to fight. Let, let, let's be realistic here. There is no existential threat facing the UK. Britain is not in the position that, say, Ukraine is, nor is it in the geographic position that Finland or the Baltic states or Scandinavian countries near Russia or Poland, countries that border Russia and have an autocratic neighbour. We don't. We're an island territory. We're a peaceful country. And we don't have anybody kind of sort of getting on our case and threatening us in that way. So I think that in the unlikely event that the Russians invaded Scotland, then would, the, would, would large numbers of the British people step up and want to resist? I think they would, much as many Ukrainians in Western Ukraine ended up, you know, getting involved in fighting in Eastern Ukraine. 
something they probably never thought they'd do, something they might not have wanted to do, but something they accepted they had to do. Uh, you know, so I think, yeah, in that case, the Britons would. But, but our geography is not like that, and that is not the threat that faces us. In response to General Sanders' suggestion, the response from Downing Street came fairly rapidly. What did they say? I mean, rightly so. They said speculation about hypothetical scenarios wasn't helpful. And I think that, you know, Sanders didn't say we need to bring back conscription. What he, what he said, and in a way it's a statement of the obvious, which is if Britain was involved in a major war against Russia, then at some point you would need to call on uh, far greater resources than today's professional army could provide. Every time Britain has been involved in a major war at some point, conscription has become necessary. So that kind of war, that sort of major war, a war of survival or something, is fought by a whole of society. And that's what you're seeing in Ukraine right now. And so that's the kind of conflict. That kind of conflict is historically rare. I wonder if there was a scenario in which they did call for conscription. I wonder if politically they could even do it. Like, we assume that when a government needs to start recruiting people quickly, start forcing them into the army, that they could do it because in the past they did it. But Britain's changed a lot. The world has changed a lot. How easily do you think a government could implement conscription in the UK, even if they really wanted to? With extreme difficulty, unless there was an extreme threat. So unless there was a scenario, this hyper unlikely scenario of national emergency, genuine national emergency, you know, you can't quite see it because ultimately you're talking about people willing to come forward and sort of fight in a war, you know, and risk losing their lives. It's it's not the same as what we saw, for example, at the beginning of coronavirus when I forget tens of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of people came forward and wanted to volunteer and help and do something. Initially, lots of people came forward, but it wasn't really clear what people could do and there wasn't a structure around it. So if the cause is right, then yes, people will come forward. But I don't think now Britain and British people are tired of kind of colonialist expeditionary wars. And I don't think there would ever be the kind of public support in meaningful numbers for that kind of thing. Coming up, how other countries in Europe are dealing with their army recruitment problems. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. 
Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. When you look out across the rest of Europe, do you see a similar problem? And if so, how are countries like France, Germany, Sweden dealing with this same issue of just not being able to get enough people in uniform? Well, look, different countries are doing different things and different countries are sort of regulated, you know, it's, it's back to this question of geography. So, you know, Latvia, for example, reintroduced national service is the only one of the Baltic states to let it drop, you know, shortly after the Russian invasion of Ukraine. But, you know, Latvia is a former part of the Soviet Union right on the border. Sweden has come back and introduced a form of national service and is forcing some people, I think, in small numbers to kind of actually engage in a kind of military service. These recruits didn't choose the Swedish army. The army has started choosing them. Twelve weeks into their training, they're ready to fire live ammunition. They're all 19 years old and still undecided as to how long they'll remain in the military. I, I understand why it's important. And to... So again, look, Sweden was neutral, has now come off, you know, what is now about to join NATO and the process of joining NATO. And again, as its prime minister said, I think, you know, citizenship is more than a travel document. So countries w- which are feeling things more, you know, the feeling, the sort of the pressure of Russia geographically are making different decisions. One thing I wonder is, you know, we imagine a conflict with Russia would be tanks and troops landing on beaches. But in 2024, is that necessarily the case? Like, like, is there another form that an all-out conflict with Moscow could look like? Well, I mean, there's a possibility of cyber war. So, sure. I mean, uh, there would be the possibility of some sustained attempt to kind of knock out Britain's national infrastructure electronically and remotely, you know, which could have very serious impacts. So, yes, would you want to try and find a way of, you know, does, do, do organisations like GCHQ not have enough people to kind of to staff Britain's cyber defences in a kind of extremist emergency? Would you want a bunch of people possibly on on call? I suspect if there was that major crisis, again, you would get those volunteers coming forward. And it's a bit hard to kind of say that we need, a, you know, a standing reserve of keyboard warriors you know, just in case for something that we can talk about that hasn't actually happened or for which there aren't really examples of, you know, anywhere in the world. I mean, if anything, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, for example, has taught us that for all the talk of cyber war, and yes, cyber has been a dimension of the war, but a pretty small one. Actually, in the end, it is, you know, it is soldiers on the battlefield, tanks, missiles, aeroplanes. It is this crude kinetic weapons of war that what, what actually get deployed. And it seems like what the army are trying to do is to rebuild the kind of military that we've had for the past 30 or 40 years. But from what you were saying, it sounds like one of the most important things they could do to address this recruitment crisis is not just find ways to get new soldiers, but 
try to find a new purpose for the army, one that young people can actually buy into in a way that it seems they're not buying into now. I think that's right. You know, that is what is partly what the military need to do. But it's also, to be frank, it's above their pay grade because ultimately the military work for politicians. And it's really about having a discussion about what is what is Britain's military for and not just assuming it's to mostly men in green running around Salisbury Plain exercising for, you know, exp- expeditionary wars, and you know, that may never come. And so I think there does need to be a much more honest rethink about these things and a more honest and open discussion about it. And I think in Britain there is a tendency, you know, people don't either don't want to think about or don't really care about thinking about the military. But it's a public service like the National Health Service is, like teaching is, like many other things. And we should be thinking about not just how these, how these services are organised, but their kind of role and purpose. And in the 21st century, in a world of interdependency, um, in a world of maybe of economic comf- competition, but we hope not conflict, we need to think about what we need the military for and not like uh, fixate on the idea that it's for some sort of residual what-if case, what if there was an invasion of, of East Anglia, what if there was a n- nuclear attack, things that are theoretically possible but vanishingly unlikely. So it's not a problem that's going to be solved with better ads on TikTok? It's not a problem that's going to be solved by better ads on TikTok or any other form of social media. Dan, thank you very much. Thank you very much. That was Dan Sabah, The Guardian's defence and security editor, whose reporting can be found at theguardian.com. And that is it for today. This episode was produced by Lucy Hoff and Courtney Youssef. Sound design was by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producer was Elizabeth Casson. And we're back with you tomorrow. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.